Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of their trademark and branding podcast series, Emily Holmes and Carrie Lamont discuss whether hashtags are capable of trademark protection under U.S. law and provide a roundup of some of the most prominent cases and developments in litigation related to intellectual property. Shareholder Emily Holmes leverages her intellectual property experience to help clients develop, protect, and enforce their intellectual property rights in the United States and internationally. Litigator Carrie Lamont, an associate in the firm's intellectual property department, works actively with clients to resolve complex business disputes and protect their valuable intellectual property, including high-profile brands. Welcome to Brownstein's trademark and branding podcast series. I am Carrie Lamont, an associate here at Brownstein in the litigation group, and I'm joined by my colleague Emily Holmes, who is now a partner in the um, intellectual property group. Thanks, Carrie. Today we are going to talk primarily about hashtags and whether hashtags are capable of trademark protection under U.S. law. Um, and then at the end, we're going to have a short litigation roundup of some of the most prominent cases and developments in litigation related to intellectual property. So going with our first topic, um, hashtags. As everyone knows, um, hashtags have become an integral part of a company's marketing strategy. They originally, the hashtag served as kind of a more casual way for users to interact with social media and in the past year or so um, have really become a force for corporations and for companies to harness their branding power and to really interact with consumers. So one of the questions that Emily gets a lot is, I want to use a hashtag, can I trademark it? Yeah, so it's a really interesting um, development as you see kind of brands making more of a presence on social media and, as Carrie said, interacting more with their customers that way. Some brands are using, you know, their more established trademark, their house marks as, as hashtags, and some brands are using um, creative new slogans that are really designed just to be used as a hashtag. And the question often comes up, as Carrie said, you know, how can you protect this? Um, so there are a couple of things to think about with a hashtag trademark. The first is that hashtag trademarks are indeed capable of protection. Um, they're looked at the same way as other trademarks, so they can't be merely descriptive or generic. So, for example, Doritos can't trademark hashtag chips. That's not going to be distinctive enough to support trademark protection. Um, usually, you are not going to be able to claim rights in the hashtag itself. Um, it's really just there to kind of indicate the type of mark that it is um, and it is included as the mark as a whole, but you're not going to be preventing others from using the hashtag. You're going to be aiming at preventing others from using the substance of what your hashtag is. So you mean the actual symbol. Exactly. So you would need to disclaim that in most cases. But you can protect the, the portion that comes after the hashtag, which is usually what most brands are aimed at protecting. You do have to use it as the hashtag mark 
mark to designate the source of your goods and services in order to obtain protection. So it's just like a regular trademark in that sense, too. If I want to secure hashtag Doritos for my chips, I need to put on my chip bag hashtag Doritos. If I want to just protect Doritos, then I should just be filing for Doritos. So all the same principles apply, but they get a little modified in that sense because a lot of people don't think of really using those hashtags to truly identify source. So in most cases, you really are better off filing just for the word mark that you then later use as a hashtag in that context because really your source identifier is the core mark and not the hashtagged version. So often, in other words, you would have a slogan that incorporates your typical brand that you already have trademarked. And in that scenario, you think that probably you would just keep the registration of the original trademark and not necessarily try to register the whole hashtag. Yeah, I think in most cases that makes the most sense because it really reflects how you're going to use it. Now, with some of these brands that are aimed at, for example, younger consumers or that are used for... Uh, more online-focused campaigns, it may make sense. I mean, we have a couple of clients that are pursuing some kind of social justice initiatives, and they have sought registration of their hashtagged marks, including the hashtag, because even when they use it online, they use it as hashtag whatever to promote that campaign. Um, So if they're actually using it in that sense with the hashtag, then definitely makes sense to seek that protection But in a lot of cases, that's not really how it will be used outside of like a Twitter or a Facebook context. And what's the value of trademarking the hashtag? How could a company use it in an enforcement mechanism? I mean, certainly I can't imagine that companies would go after individual users who incorporate the hashtag. In fact, it seems to me that's precisely what the company wants the users to do is the whole point of a hashtag is to engage consumers and hopeful potential consumers of your product in social media. So to me, that seems a little inconsistent with the concept of a trademark in that you're almost encouraging others to use it. Now, of course, if they're using it properly, they're using it as a trademark to refer to your goods. So it wouldn't be trademark infringement. But is there really instances in which enforcement is advisable in this arena? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point because, as you say, you have hashtags out there specifically so people will use them, and you want them using it them in you know what's called a nominative fair use sense to refer to you. Um, and so, I, I do think it's highly unlikely that you would ever pursue any kind of enforcement based upon a hashtag trademark. Really, all you're getting is that formal registration of the mark. And like I said, in that in that instance, if you really are using it with the hashtag, it makes sense to do it that way, just because that really is what you're seeking to protect. But if you already have a wordmark version for it, I don't see a whole lot of value to adding a hashtag to it. And what about instances, I'm trying to remember back, but I think there was um, McDonald's tried to have a hashtag brand campaign, and it ended up being sort of a funnel or a lightning rod for users to make fun of McDonald's. And they started retweeting things that were you know, not flattering portrayals of the brand. Could trademark law be used to suppress that kind of speech or to give McDonald's more power than otherwise they would have? I think that's always a really delicate and difficult problem to have. Because one, you have, you're dealing with 
the consumers at large, most of which you are trying to get to be supporters of your brand. Two, you're dealing with free speech issues, which, you know, there's no great way to prevent that usually with trademark law, just because they end up being uh, kind of two separate issues and the, the free speech issue prevails. I think you could suggest that by using the hashtag, they're really suggesting some sort of affiliation with you and argue along those lines. But again, you know, you could just as easily rely on your traditional trademark rights as opposed to hashtag trademark rights to bring that sort of campaign or write that sort of letter. So I don't know that it provides you with a lot of added hooks or hammers, as the case may be, to deal with an issue like that. Yeah. Although it does seem to me that if the if you're dealing with a scenario where it's just individual consumers who are engaging in that kind of behavior, the company might feel differently than if it were, say, a competitor or a competing Absolutely. company that tried to turn what was supposed to be a brand slogan via a hashtag into something negative. I could see um, our clients and other corporations having a stronger reaction to that kind of behavior. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and even that is a bit of a tough nut to crack, especially when it's you know probably something satirical or something that does have some of that First Amendment protection. So those can be tricky issues, but I don't know that a hashtag trademark gets you where you want to be. Does the USPTO apply any sort of different standards for registration of hashtags? As of late, um, they have not said that they're going to apply any different standards. Really, everything that they've come out with has said, we review these just the way we do other trademarks, requiring you to disclaim descriptive matter, uh, refusing registration if your trademark is merely descriptive or generic, those kinds of things. There has been a suggestion by some commentators that this really is a new class of trademark protection, kind of an alternative category of protection, like color, sound, smell, those kinds of specialized trademarks. Um, in my view, I don't really view it as a separate category just because I think it is so similar to traditional trademark. I mean, the use is different to some degree, but it's still based on identifying the source of goods and services and the same rules apply. Um, so for me, I, I don't see it as really its own category. Although creating its own category could address what you've raised as the weaknesses. I mean, if you had Absolutely. a weaker mark, for example, color is a higher standard to protect a color as a trademark, maybe that's the underlying policy rationale is just that hashtags should be harder to protect in an arena where clearly the goal of the entire media is speech. I mean, an interactive speech at that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how... The trademark office procedures and case law really evolves with these hashtag marks because they really are still quite new for the trademark office. And so I think we could see um, a fair amount changing. I guess since 2013, there have been over 600 trademark applications for hashtag marks. Um, and that number comes from over a year ago. So I'm sure we'll see probably an exponential increase in those and probably more defined policy coming from the PTO because of that. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I took a quick look, and I don't think there's any published decisions um, coming out of courts yet on hashtags, trademarks. There's been a handful of lawsuits filed, but no um, published opinion about um, either the ability to trademark a hashtag, which I don't think is really in dispute, um, or some of the enforcement issues that we were discussing. So takeaway from this is, yes, hashtags are 
trademarkable. <laughs> That's right. Yep, you can definitely get protection in hashtag trademarks, but I think you should think about do you want to, what value will it add to your business, and how do you really intend to use it going forward? Yeah, and it seems to me there's also a practical reality of this and that a lot of hashtag campaigns are almost reactive or responsive to current events or things that are happening. And in that scenario, and the speed of which the trademark application and registration process goes, if you're going to get protection, it may well be beyond the time period in which the hashtag is relevant. That's exactly right. Yeah. Thinking long term about is this really going to be part of our brand strategy going forward for the next several years or not, you know, is a relevant consideration certainly in this arena. Okay, so I wanted to today spend a little bit of time um, doing a focus on some litigation cases that are ongoing. This year has marked an unprecedented year for intellectual property cases in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has granted cert in numerous um, important intellectual property cases, meaning that the, the court will hear them and took an interest in hearing them, some of which have gone through oral arguments, some of which are still in the briefing phase. Um, and I'm going to touch on what I view as the two most important from the Supreme Court today and then briefly discuss a Ninth Circuit opinion um, regarding Louis Vuitton for all those brand name purse lovers out there. So the first Supreme Court case is Enri Tam, which is about a band who wanted to register the trademark The Slants. And this has a long, this case has a long history, both in the trademark trial and appeal board, as well as throughout the circuit court process leading up to the Supreme Court. It also has gathered a lot of media attention because of the pending Redskins case, which deals with the identical statutory provision at issue. And the Redskins case is slightly behind procedurally of this case. So it is universally thought that depending on how this decision comes out, the Redskins case may well be heavily impacted. The issue in front of the In Re Tam case in front of the court is essentially whether or not the trademark law and specifically a provision in the statute that forbids registration of offensive or disparaging trademarks is constitutional. Um, and so before the court is whether or not that provision may be struck down, currently what has happened in the In Re Tam case um, is that the uh, examining attorney, when going through the process of registering a trademark, um, can refuse registration of a trademark on the grounds that such mark is scandalous or offensive. Um, and that's what happened in the In Re Tam case. The examining attorney rejected the application, concluding that the slants is an offensive term for Asian Americans. The band at issue, the slants, are all Asian Americans and have um, made a pretty persuasive case, I think, that they view the term and their use of the term as uh, empowering as opposed to offensive and that they want to take ownership of it. But at the Supreme Court level, it's really almost not about the ban, but it's really about whether or not the USPTO is capable of making such determinations and whether... Um, such determinations constitute an impermissible restriction on free speech. And they had oral arguments at the Supreme Court recently, 
And it is hard to tell from those, I think, which direction the court is leaning. As often happens in oral argument, the questions for the first attorney seemed to be leaning the other way, and then the other attorney got up and it seemed to be leaving the other way. Um, so we don't have a clear direction of where the court is going to come down on this, but it may well be the most important trademark case of the year, and we will be closely watching it and update you all when we get a decision. The next case is, and I'll just touch briefly on it because not much has happened yet. The Supreme Court just recently agreed to hear the case, but it also has massive potential implications um, on patent litigation instead of trademark litigation. The way patent litigation currently exists in this country is the vast majority of patent infringement cases are brought in a handful of courts, which are called districts, mostly in, for example, Texas and Virginia and California. So they're somewhat random. Um, And those courts are very used to and experienced in dealing patent cases. And so patent holders who are bringing patent infringement lawsuits often prefer to bring cases in those venues. And they have particular rules for patent cases, and they tend to go faster. The Supreme Court case is called T.C. Heartland. And the issue in front of the Supreme Court is essentially whether or not the patent statute that authorizes venue, i.e. where you can bring your lawsuit, whether the current interpretation, which is basically you can bring it anywhere in the country, is consistent with um, the rules of federal procedure and other case law. So far, it seems that most commentators are predicting that the Supreme Court will rule that it is not, uh, meaning that the dominance of those few districts will go away and that it will be much more difficult for patent holders to sue defendants in the place in the country they want to, essentially, as opposed to the normal rules where you have to sue a defendant in a jurisdiction in which you have personal jurisdiction, which often means particularly for smaller companies, where you're located or where you do a substantial amount of business. Uh, So the potential impact of T.C. Heartland could be huge and really would change, I think, the face of patent litigation and the way it's practiced um, in the country. The last case I just wanted to briefly go over, and Emily, you'll be real familiar with this one, but is a recent Ninth Circuit decision, a trademark lawsuit case brought by Louis Vuitton, And it's against a small company that sold very inexpensive purses that parodied the designer's handbags. Um, They were pretty obvious parody handbags. They said on them explicitly, my other bag, (laughs) clearly calling out the fact that they were not actual Louis Vuitton handbags. But they did have a a takeoff, for lack of a better word, of Louis Vuitton's distinctive pattern and style. And they were designed purposely to have that look. Uh, So the Ninth Circuit was not entertained (laughs) and uh, ruled against Louis Vuitton and basically called out Louis Vuitton for not having a sense of humor about its brand and pretty openly, I would say, chided them for bringing the lawsuit and for not understanding uh, that this could not possibly be trademark infringement. 
I agree with the outcome of the court, but I don't agree with the court's vigor in the opinion. I think that brand owners have a right and an interest in protecting even against uses that might be considered parody. And frankly, before this decision, there wasn't a lot of case law discussing the intersection between parody and trademark law. We see that a lot in copyright. We don't see it as much in trademark. Absolutely. Uh, I I think it's hard to say that it didn't tarnish the goodwill of the brand to have such an obvious parody out there. So it is interesting and kind of a running theme as you run through these cases. We're seeing more intersection between the First Amendment and trademark law. Absolutely. The First Amendment is definitely on the rise, and you're right. I mean, the parody defense, which prevailed here, is a First Amendment defense that, again, we've seen robust upholding of such a defense in the copyright arena, but it really hasn't been strongly tested in trademark. I mean, there's certainly cases suggesting that parody would excuse a defendant from otherwise trademark infringement, although it's not as clean as that, I would say. I think the court went further and almost said that there is no trademark infringement because it's a parody Um, which may be a distinction without a difference, but in my mind, it is slightly different. Agreed. It was presented, it seemed like, in a really black and white way, as opposed to saying our fundamental inquiry is, is there consumer confusion? We conclude no in this case because it was clearly a parody and therefore consumers were not confused, which I think is a very different argument than it's a parody, so there's no infringement. So everyone go out and buy the My Other Bag canvas totes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all for today. Thank you for joining us. And next time we'll be talking about recent developments in trademark office rules and procedure. A scintillating topic (laughs) that really is going to have some merit. So please tune in. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.